From the beautiful city of Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Hey, hey, welcome to Film Forward, everybody, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. And we've got a great episode for you coming up today highlighting an amazing film that we're going to be screening. But before we get into it, if you like what you hear today, please subscribe to Film Forward on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for weekly episodes where we not only interview filmmakers with new theatrical releases, we also host our patented Gimme 3 episodes. And of course, we highlight all things LADFF. So like, subscribe, comment. We've got plenty coming up. And we've got plenty in our archives for you to check out as well. As I mentioned, though, we've got a great guest for you today. And he's a close, close friend of ours and a return guest here on Film Forward. And his new film, All the World is Sleeping, is playing with LADFF for one night on January 20th, Mr. Ryan Layson. Ryan, thank you for being here. Uh, thanks for having me back. Glad to be here. So it's the new year here, Ryan. It's 2022. What's on the goals list? What's on the uh, resolutions? Yeah, can you believe it? 2022 time has gone by fast. I almost feel like we've just been time traveling the last like year and a half, but uh, I, I feel good, you know, especially after like last year, there was a period where I didn't even know if All the World Sleeping was going to be able to be shown in a theater. And the fact that we had a great premiere and we did five festivals at the end of 2021 was definitely a great step in the direction of like hope within, you know, filmmaking and being able to, you know, show our films live. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, um, you know, obviously we're still not out of the woods yet, but it was, it was great to be back in the theater last year in general. You know, we got to go to one of the, all the world is sleeping screenings in New York, which was a ton of fun. And we're excited for this one on January 20th. For those who don't know about the film, tell the audience about all the world is sleeping. Yeah. So all the world is sleeping is, uh, at its essence, it's about, you know, the hardest job in the world being a parent and then adding in a parent who was also struggling from uh, drug addiction. It's about a mother in uh, New Mexico who is, you know, drowning in her substance abuse while trying to surface for her daughter. The film is also, it's about, you know, trying to get by in a world that's constantly knocking you down. You know, it's about rejection and survival and, and not knowing how to get help. That's a huge problem, you know, that we have is, is, you know, feeling alone, like you're the only one dealing with an issue. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's something that so many people are going through. And I think that's one of the reasons why this film hits so hard. The film opens also with a card letting the audience know that this story is like inspired by real mothers, real stories, the stories of Carly Hicks, Patricia Merez, Myra Salazar, Jade Sanchez, Kaylee Smith. Melissa Trujillo and Doralee Urban. Before we get into your discussions and your research and talking to them and hearing their stories, talk to us just kind of like about the inception of the project overall. How did this project come to be? This film, it came at the heels of, I had directed this other film called The Dust Storm and it was, you know, doing its kind of tour at the film festivals. And a representative of Whole Futures, a nonprofit in New Mexico, Michaela Cadena, contacted me and was basically like, hey, you know, we really love what that film did for Tennessee. Would you be interested in coming back to New Mexico and possibly doing a project here that kind of highlights New Mexico? 
And uh, New Mexico is my home state. So obviously any opportunity to be able to get back there and create art, you know, I was 100% down for. They invited me out there and I had no idea kind of like what we were going to do, what this was all about. Just to back up a little bit, Bold Futures is a, a nonprofit in New Mexico who basically works year round to like improve access to the care and, and resources families need to be safe in you know their own lives and communities. So they invited me in to get to meet these seven mothers and basically for four or five months just to sit back, listen, and hear their lives. And they trusted me. It felt like an instant family between the all of us, between both futures, the, the mothers and myself, the other producer of the film, Ian Simon, who was there along with me as we went through like the months hearing the, the mother stories. And then from there, at the end of it, both futures asked the mothers like, okay, you know, you were able to kind of share your lives and your stories right now. What do you want to do with, you know, this filmmaker and this producer? Like, do you want to make like a documentary? Is this going to be like a short film? And they're like, we have so much to say and so much that we want out there for the world to know. Let's make a movie. Mm-hmm. So I was able to take everything I had, I had heard for the last couple of months and go back, lock myself in a room and to create a uh, script that highlighted their voices and was able to get out everything that they wanted to say. Take us, if you can, a little bit deeper into just that prep, because I know you spent a lot of time with them before you went into a script writing, but what was it like just hearing their stories? I remember when you were prepping for this film, you were you kept going back multiple times to like hear more stories and, and spend more time with the mothers. I mean, I guess the biggest thing for me was just I felt honored just the fact that they trusted me to be so open with their lives and just to share everything under like this, I guess, blanket of trust in the room. And then for me to be able to go back and to take certain elements of each of the mother's lives and combine it into one narrative. And then to take that script back to the seven mothers and be like, okay, here's kind of what I created from everything we talked about in the last, you know, six months. Read the script. Let me know, like, what doesn't feel honest? What doesn't feel truthful? What isn't a, a real depiction of your life? And also, like, what do you want the audience to know? Because this film wasn't just made for like, okay, great. Now we can all go back and collective and just watch this and we can, you know, see their experiences there it was meant to be like okay let's put this film out there as wide as possible so somebody in you know ohio watches this movie and was like oh wow they get a reflection of what these mothers in new mexico experience in their lives mm-hmm. and their, their struggles and hardships that they went through so for me i guess the hardest part was just doing them justice and to make sure their voices felt like a proper reflection of who they are. And also, too, I mean, you have the true lives of seven women. How do you combine that into one story? Because the film All the World Sleeping basically follows the, the character of Chama as she goes through their experiences of her life. But every single scene is like a composite of each other mother's experiences in life, kind of like interwoven throughout the film. Yeah, I mean, it's a daunting task and a very beautiful responsibility that I think you pulled off very well, my friend. As you mentioned, you're from New Mexico. You go back, you make a feature film in New Mexico. What was that like for you? Is this, you know, the film is kind of like, 
a homecoming in a sense. You not only are you making the film in New Mexico, but you know, you got one of your best friends and and longtime partners and Ian Simon making it with you, other partners you've worked with for a long time, and you know, producers Anthony Baldino and Sonia Maru making it with you. You've got your brother-in-law as the DP. So it was really kind of like a family affair. Talk to us about just what that meant to you personally as a filmmaker to to come back home and make this film that way. Yeah, it was incredible. You know, I born and raised in New Mexico, but I've never actually filmed anything there outside of college. So to be able to kind of return with a film that felt so personal to me was an emotional homecoming, but also to be able to do it, like you said, you know, my best friends within the industry and also within the New Mexico filmmaking community, which is such a lively, striving community full of artists that kind of came together to bring this vision to life. This film obviously wasn't like a huge budget, but we were able to like really stretch it and be honest to the script just by having like everybody in New Mexico come together to make it happen. Talk to us if you can about putting together this incredible cast also. It's just stellar from top to bottom. It's a big cast. You know, there's a, there's a lot of characters in here, but if you can take us into the casting process, what was that like? So it's obviously tough to like cast any type of movie, but when the film or when the actors and characters are based off of real life people, you have that heightened task of being able to like not only find the best actor to portray the role, but also the best actor to portray like a real life person. So going into the casting process, we had an amazing casting director named Jessica Sherman, who was able to bring a collection of the best actors and actresses that like I've ever seen together. And then from that, we were able to like find the best actors to represent the seven women. And amongst that, we had like Melissa Barrera, who plays Chama in the film, the lead character. And she is the rock of the movie. You know, her performance feels like this like emotional scab that's like ripped open and the audience is there watching her just feel and, and, and bleed as they hope that she's able to, you know, put herself back together. And not only was I lucky to find like an actress like Melissa, who was able to bring such like honest and raw truth to the role, but she was also such a true collaborator and wonderful to work with. Before we even like rolled camera on the very first scene, Melissa came down to New Mexico and she met with the seven mothers and, you know, was able to get the firsthand experience just talking with them and learning from them and understanding like life in New Mexico and understanding life with substance abuse and making sure that everything that she brought to the film felt like this real portrayal of these women. And also, like we had in the cast, like Jackie Cruz and Kristen Gutowski and Lisa Andaratina, and like each one of them kind of did the same thing too. They they got to meet, you know, the seven mothers, and they got to like really dive into like who these characters are that they're playing because this isn't just a person on the script. This is a real life person who's like you know has struggled and has you know experienced these hardships day to day in life. And it was up to these actresses and actors who basically bring these roles to life. Yeah, they do such an incredible job. I was talking with Kristen the other day, and we were talking about Melissa's performance and her work behind the scenes. And she said, you know, she's a great leader on set. She didn't mean that in like a, that she's like the boss, but she's like very supportive of everybody that she works with. And just her hard work is apparent on screen, but the hard work 
behind the camera that she does is something that people don't get to see, but it made such an impact on the film also. Yeah, and she was just down to emotionally and physically go there every single day. And our shooting schedule on this was very, very tight. So she didn't have the luxury to be able to do like a scene that just like, you know, broke her down mentally and then be like, okay, I'm going to take a break. You know, I was like, great, we got that scene. Now we have to go into something that's, you know, even tougher. And every time she would take a deep breath, jump straight in and just nail it. Which is, I mean, you know, is such a credit to her. But I think, you know, in watching the film back earlier this week, it's like the character also gets no breaks. You know, it's like the character's going through just like so many things, so many things. So in a way, I think that worked for her performance because as you always say, the hits just keep on coming when it comes to that character, Ojama. Um, There's two collaborations I want to talk about real quick. Michael Garcia, your cinematographer, and Kala Klessing, the production designer. Talk to us about working with these two incredible artists. The three of you just create this really authentic visual language and style that's just like gritty, but very natural, but at the same time, super beautiful. So talk to us about working with these two department heads. I think that's also a testament to like filmmaking. It's like a movie is only as good as the people that come together to make it you know it's like everyone brings their little like piece to the voice and language of the film and michael garcia who i've known for a long time but this was the very first i guess project that we collaborated with on this level not only is he an amazing talented and just unique cinematographer but he's also from new mexico too so it definitely created like this shorthand between us because we both I mean, it's the, it's the place that we grew up, you know, born and raised. We, we know New Mexico. So like for him, he was able to really capture the state in a way that felt like honest and real to uh, the both of us. But he was also too, like when he came on board, like he, he read the script a lot of times, like, you know, you'll talk with a DP and I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I love it. It kind of reminds me of like this film or like, what if we did something like, you know, this movie? But Michael never did that. He was always like, hey, I don't want to reference any other like previous film. Let's just take this. This is its own movie. And if we have to reference anything, we reference a painting or a picture or like an image or a feeling or or a sense of smell. So you'd walk into a place and it's like, okay, this smells like dust and mold as opposed to like, oh yeah, this looks like, you know, in David Fincher's seven, it was always like, just came down to mood and tone. And I really appreciated that kind of like reflection that we both had going through like each scene of the script. Michael too just brought such a unique collaboration with us as well. It's like, as a director, you kind of come in, you're like, I I see the movie in my head. And like, I think, you know, in the scene, like, I'd love to shoot like this, you know, we we come in and this wide shot that we move into this. And Michael would always kind of listen to that. He'd play the movie back in his head that way, but he would always enhance every aspect of like, oh, I love that. But what if, you know, we, we turn the scene on its head and we, we jump back and just shoot it through this, this angle, this perspective. And every time we'd have to both sit down, stop, reflect upon each choice. And then we, we tear the scene completely apart until we're both on the same level. Like this is the exact way that we want to shoot the scene. And this feels the most honest to the script. Right. And also too, again, going back to like kind of what we're saying with Melissa, it was like when you have like a tight shooting schedule like this, there's no time off for the cinematographer. And especially one who's also the camera operator too. 
there's a scene in the movie where Melissa's character trauma is in a hospital and she's kind of detoxing. And, you know, when you're like, go, 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 go on the film set and you're just trying to like make the day, there's an opportunity to be like, okay, we need to get the camera like above her on the bed. Let's work with like Jeannie to like really kind of set this up, but that takes time. And it was easier for Michael just to be like, all right, I'm going to climb on the bed. I'm going to hold the camera on my shoulder and I can kind of angle it down, get the shot we want. But you know, that's, that's fine and dandy when you're just holding that camera for like, you know, 30 seconds cut and you move on. But when you're dealing with like a performance that's so like emotional and, and it's building, you know, if we would have cut any of the shots, it's like it could have taken away from Lessa's performance. So Michael was just down to like hold it for these long, like four or five minute setups. You can see like the sweat beating off his forehead, but like you <laughs> never, never like lose his like focus or even like even like the movement of the camera he held it second you call cut puts the camera down walks into the next room probably has to lay down for a few seconds <laughs> but <laughs> right. it just shows like the, the dedication that he has to like his craft to the script and to the art of filmmaking yeah absolutely and it shows absolutely shows on screen and talk to us if you can about working with Kala, the production designer and a production designer too it, it's it's one of those jobs that's like everything that you see in front of that lens is a testament to Kala for this movie it's not only is she building a world that again feels like a reflection of new mexico of the seven women's like lives but it also feels unique and different and kind of like how you said earlier, like beautiful and gritty. Because when you're dealing with like a subject matter like of substance abuse, it's a very dark subject matter. And there's there's a lot of grime that ends involved with like, you know, what substance abuse kind of does or the toll that it takes to, you know, a person and to their their world. But we also want this film to like have a layer of hope to like every scene as well, too. So she always had that constant like balance and struggle to be like, okay, we're presenting like there, there's a scene in here that takes place in this trap house. We're like, okay, we want it to be, you know, really uh, yeah, dark and, and, and to feel like it has this like ominous kind of like wolf undertone in this spot, but still also make it look like the way Chama sees it when she goes into this place, which is like a little bit of relief for her. So it's like she was always building that that balance between like light and darkness, like in every scene. And also each scene is a depiction on where the main character is, you know, in her emotional state throughout the film. So it's like also trying to play within that realm of both cinematography and in production design for each scene. It's like we were able to like heighten stuff visually at times and then strip them down to the bare bones and other times too. Right. So allowed her that sense to be able to kind of really bring her own artistic style and flair to it. But with always going back to like the honesty of the script and the, the true life story of the seven mothers. And the film is cut incredibly your editor eric so the film feels in a way as kind of like both stream of consciousness and tight narrative at the same time you know there's like a lot of flashbacks where we're getting this character's backstory but never feels that we're going on a tangent or like losing focus of like of the goal of the film which is like a, just an incredible feat talk to us about working with eric and the editing process and that's always like i guess a challenge with like these types of films too and going back to like the the script and the conception of it was 
you know, when I was sitting here listening to like all these like true stories, it was like, it just didn't feel right to like write a script that felt like linear, like, oh, this happens and this happens and this happens and there's a resolution. That's not true life. So we wanted like to make this film feel like it's you're watching a scrapbook of this mother's like life. So you're always jumping temporarily to be like, what's in her mind? What's she thinking about? Is this a moment of the past? Is this a moment like in the present? Or is this even like a heightened thought that she has within her like present setting? And then when the editor, Eric, gets like that footage and even going off the script, it, there's a million ways that he can cut a scene because it definitely takes away, I guess, the limitations of like, okay, you have to go from scene A to scene B. And it's like, we had the ability to start with, with scene C, go back to scene A, then jump to scene, you know, P, and then keep on kind of going back. As long as the story felt like it had a uh, clear directive and also making sure the pacing felt like we are quickly moving through this journey too. So therefore the audience never had a chance to like, you know, kind of let up. Eric also comes with such a unique sensibility when it comes to editing and also the films that like he enjoys. He likes to like look at stuff out of the box. So there's a lot of times too where like it didn't even matter like the order in the script. He was able to be like, okay, no, like in this moment right now, it's it's interesting that you know we have her like thinking about this moment in her life, this flashback. But what if we just instead took a different moment that isn't as concise of like you know you can't put your finger on like oh you know she's feeling sad, so she's thinking of like this thing in her past that makes her sad. We're just taking something else that like is like. If you look hard enough, you see the connecting tissue between both, but you know, it's not just like hammering it on the nose. And he was always able to like kind of go through the edit to make sure that everything that we were doing felt like truthful to the sense of like how like us as humans think. It's like our minds are always constantly jumping all around the place. And like you might think of a random moment from like 10 years ago that has no point of being in your mind at that very exact second. But, you know, it might tie into like a different aspect. So he was able to just kind of weave together this like really interesting film within the constraints of like the footage obviously we had and also the script. It reminded me too, like I saw this Q&A with Ethan Hawke and his editor for the movie Blaze a couple of years ago. And they were talking about like, you know, we edited this movie together like a million different ways. And there's like so many different ways that they could have made that film too, because it's, it's another film that's kind of like non-temporal. And it reminded me of like working with Eric too. It's like, there's a million different ways we could have taken this film. But I think that at the end of the day, we found the exact way that this story needs to unfold. And it felt very truthful to Trauma's journey. Absolutely, yeah. And the last question I'll ask is, some of the seven mothers, many of the women that the story is based on were on set while you were making the film. What was it like to kind of have them there for the run of the show? A, just to have them be a part of the filmmaking process, but B, to kind of be able to have them there as a, a guiding light, you know? Yeah. On the filmmaking process part, it was great because, you know, I don't think any of the seven mothers had ever been on a film set before or even seen what it's like behind the camera. So just to kind of see their like excitement and joy through that process, you know, definitely I think it was very contagious amongst the crew too. You know, everyone got to see how much they were enjoying it. So therefore, you know, it's why why as a crew are we complaining about, you know, rough days when we just see the excitement of the real life people that inspired this film right there. And for me, it just it allowed me not to, I guess, 
go into each scene with any like sense of fear. Because I mean, obviously when you're shooting something that's, you know, based on a true story, it's like you want to be able to get it right. But when you have one of the, the mothers who inspired it right there standing next to you, you know, in each scene, I could, I could turn to him at the end and be like, okay, did everything in that moment feel real? Was anything, even like something in the background, like was there a poster or, you know, a line of dialogue that didn't ring true? So it just allowed me, you know, another voice to be able to be like, this is right. What we just did with the scene was exactly what it needed to be. We're good to move on. So cool to hear that. And once again, man, excellent job. I know it was a a long process as most films are, but it's so great that we get to share it with a real in-person theater, January 20th. Come see it with us. The LA premiere of All the World is Sleeping. We're going to be at the Lemley NoHo 7 and tickets are on sale right now. Visit LADFF.com for more info. And we're going to take a quick break, everybody. When we return, Ryan is going to help us out with our favorite segment, Give Me Three. Hello, I'm Sonia, and this is my Movie Minute. I just saw Guillermo del Toro's latest masterpiece, Nightmare Alley. About five minutes into this movie, I was like, oh man, I'm going to feel awful for a good chunk of this two and a half hour runtime. And I did. But it was the most enjoyable bad feeling I've had in quite a while. Probably since I saw Christian F. at the New Beverly on New Year's Eve of 2018. Nightmare Alley is vivid, lush, colorful, and dark. Set partially in the filthy, dusty world of carnies and partially in a far more terrifying world of high society in upstate New York. Maybe you won't actually feel bad. I am admittedly a very sensitive person. But Nightmare Alley does deal with some very heavy themes like exploitation, manipulation, greed, and alcoholism. But it does it through a compelling and suspenseful narrative filled with wild cast members, incredible sets, gorgeous camera work, and a killer score. Nightmare Alley stars Bradley Cooper, Rooney Mara, and Kate Blanchett, plus many more in its incredible ensemble cast. It's in theaters right now, and it certainly deserves the big screen experience. In fact, it's even playing in a black and white version at a number of theaters in LA and probably in other places around the country. I highly, highly recommend that you check it out. Let us know what you think. And that was my minute. Thanks for listening. You barely know me. Oh, I know you well. I know you're no good. And I know that because neither am I. Is that so? All right, welcome back to Film Forward, everybody. We're here with Ryan Lason. His new film, All the World is Sleeping, is playing with LADFF on January 20th. But right now, he's going to hook us up with three films that inspired his work. So, Ryan, let's get your first one. It's kind of interesting, too, kind of how we were saying earlier with, you know, All the World Sleeping, like me and Michael, the DP, went in with this, like, clear sense of, like, okay, we're not going to watch any type of films about substance abuse because we didn't want to have any of those films like inspire us or like change any of our ideas going into it. But there was definitely several films that like I watched before filming this movie that I wanted to kind of like understand and kind of learn from in a different way. And I guess, let's see, one of those would be uh, Wild, the uh, Jean-Marc Vallée film with Reese Witherspoon. 
Although that film does kind of handle substance abuse, but in a different way. I watched that just because that movie is, well, I guess Jean-Marc's style too is very non-temporal. So the way he tackles like each film feels like you're watching like this stream of conscious, these like floating thoughts that are like kind of moving in and out of like the protagonist's like life throughout the movie's runtime. I want to kind of see like how he executed that. And I thought, you know, Wilde was just so clever in editing and style and pacing. So that was definitely one of the uh, the first movies that I looked at for inspiration before we even, you know, rolled camera on All the World. I'll be completely honest. I haven't seen Wilde yet. I need to I need to check it out, though, because I've heard nothing but good things. Yeah, his his whole catalog between Dallas Buyers Club, Wilde, Demolition, even the HBO shows of uh, Big Little Lies and Sharp Objects. He's such a unique and talented director and it's a shame you know we we lost him a couple weeks ago and uh, you know it's sad because like he was such a pioneer in the filmmaking world but i feel fortunate that you know he left us with such an amazing body of work yeah wild check it out i'm i gotta check it out so i'm putting it to the top of my cue list after hearing that. And uh, like you said, we lost him. So I think now's a, a good time as any to appreciate his work. Let's get your second one, Ryan. The second movie I watched, and I think this was, I watched this in LA before I went out to New Mexico, like a month before we started pre-production was Moonlight. I'd obviously, I, I saw it in the theaters when it came out, you know, like I loved it. But like, I chose to rewatch that before I went out there just because it's one, it's, it's an absolutely incredible movie. And it was made at a small budget. Granted, its budget is probably 20 times more than uh, what we had. <laughs> but still like Barry Jenkins was able to do so much visually, but also keeping it very raw. So I want to watch a film like that just to be able to, I guess, get that inspiration from like building a big world within like kind of a smaller setting and such like a beautiful character study. Another thing about Moonlight that like really, really rocked me when I first saw the film is just the score was so unique and incredible and i knew going into atwis that like the film needed to have a score and a musical backbone that felt just like another character in the movie and we were very fortunate with this film that we had a composer named emily who came in and just basically everything that like i had in my head for what the score was going to sound like She turned that on its head and was like, what if we explore it like this? So every single thing about the the final score just felt so like incredibly original to like her, but also so fitting within, you know, all the world sleeping. Yeah, the score is incredible in your film and also in Moonlight. With Moonlight, it's there's so many images that stick out in my head from that film, like their use of light and composition. They just made these images that are like forever imprinted in my brain. They could be very simple frames of just like a close up or like a person walking down the hallway, but they're so beautiful that they just have stuck with me since it came out. Yeah, 100%. Moonlight, check it out. I think it's on HBO Max right now. So if you haven't seen it, for God's sakes, check it out. It's an absolute masterpiece. Speaking of masterpieces, your third and final, Mr. Ryan. I guess my my little tradition is like right before the first day of filming, I try to watch one of the the greatest movies of all time. Before uh, the very first film I directed, the best one I watched, obviously, The Godfather, which is, you know, 
clouded as, you know, one of the top 10 greatest movies of all time. And even though like these films have nothing to do with like what I'm, you know, about to create, it just feels good to watch a movie that is like so like awe-inspiring. And for this one, I chose City of God. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's such like a unique masterpiece that is, it's just one of a kind. And I remember just sitting there watching it and just the choice of like lighting and camera angles and composition, like everything about it is just so freaking cool. Yeah, I watched this when I was real young. And, you know, I was really into cinema then, but I had never seen anything like this. And I guess I haven't since. But <laughs> but when I saw it, I was like, holy crap, this film is high octane. And it just totally changed my perception of like what filmmaking is, what storytelling can do. It also like opened up my worldview in a way that like my naive brain hadn't been privy to it was a life-altering moment the first time i saw this film yeah and when you watch a movie like that it just gets you so jazzed to go out and like create and make your own stuff absolutely man man and just talking to you i'm like shoot let's go out and do it again brother let's 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 make another one yes please all right man these are three excellent choices and i think they would all pair great with all the world is sleeping which Everybody can come see January 20th at the Lemley NoHo 7. All the world is sleeping. Join us for it. There's going to be a great Q&A following the screening, and it's just going to be a really special night. So uh, please be there. And Ryan, I want to thank you for coming back on the show. You know you have an open invitation anytime you want to come back. Always a pleasure. Thank you all for listening to Film Forward, and we will catch you next time. Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward, and you'll hear us next time.